So for all those long years, Jenny Bird doesn't know what's happened. And in 2009, something does happen. Camilleri, who was the dominant one of the pair, had forced, I think, the other guy to kill him. I'm Andrew Rule. Over the past couple of weeks, we've given you the story of Prue Bird's abduction and murder. This week, we look at the link between Prue's disappearance and the bigger schoolgirls killer, Leslie Camilleri. This is a case, the Jenny Bird, Prue Bird case, has had at least one big red herring. And that is the story of another fairly charismatic crook, like Paul Hetzel, like Stan Taylor, a man called Morris Marion. Morris Marion, arm robber, uh, violent but a bit of a con man, another sort of bit part actor, I think, um, prison players in Pentridge. He, like Hetzel, is a bit keen on the gold scams. They love going to places where gold is uh, dug up and they like to buy the gold that's stolen and melt it down and all that sort of stuff, good rorts. But it was suspected for a long time by some people and probably for understandable reasons, and I know that I have helped write this story once, that Marion did make a pretty good suspect for this case. The theory being that Prue Bird, um, as a young teenager, had visited her grandmother, Julie, and her common-law husband, Paul Hetzel, who were then uh, spirited interstate because they'd given evidence against the Russell Street bombers. So in a sense... They were like protected witnesses and they'd gone interstate, a long way interstate, a long way from Victoria, to probably gold country and um, they would live there under assumed names, different names. But they had had visits from relatives including holidays, would you believe, uh, Prue and I think one of her siblings had gone over there and stayed with Grandma Julie and Pop Hetzel. Now, there was a a theory, and I think it was a justifiable theory, that people like Hetzel and his friend Morris Marion, who was also over in this gold area, were capable of molesting a 12-year-old girl and her friend and were also capable, therefore, of um, covering up their tracks by subsequently abducting that girl and murdering her. And that was a pretty strong theory and it did have some legs and it did have some credence. But of course, that very credible theory fell over as soon as Leslie Camilleri put up his hand and said, I know what happened to Prue Bird. So it's just one of those red herrings. Our story goes forward from 1992 all the way to 2009. Now, in that intervening time... Uh, 17 years, Jenny Bird has lived with the certainty that her daughter's been abducted and murdered, but what she doesn't know is how or exactly by who or, most importantly, to a parent, where the body is. This is the most exquisite form of torture. Poor Jenny Bird, a woman I've come to know over that time, 
because I did stories with her early in the piece and I got quite fond of her. And um, there's a dignity to her that impressed me and still does. She's fearfully honest about everything. She doesn't try and trade on any of this, the sort of ghoulish glamour of it or anything. She's a woman who admits that every night she has to take four very strong Xanax sleeping tablets to sleep at all because she's haunted by her daughter's disappearance. It has totally wrecked her life and yet she bears up with remarkable forbearance. So for all those long years, Jenny Bird doesn't know what's happened. And in 2009, something does happen. Police get a message from a prisoner in Barwon Prison that a fellow prisoner, a very notorious prisoner, he's claiming that he knows something about the Prue Bird murder. Now, the police take notice of this because this prisoner is a fellow called Leslie Camilleri. He's in the highest protection wing because Leslie Camilleri is one of two men who were convicted of what we call the bigger schoolgirl murders back in 1997. And what Les Camilleri did, he, like Stan Taylor, was a product of the boys' homes, in mostly up in New South Wales, I believe. And he was a terrible person. Uh, he had a life of crime from an early age. And what he and another young crim had done uh, probably under the influence of drugs, had been to pick up two schoolgirls um, at Bega back in the late 90s, as I said. These were just two schoolgirls coming home from school or whatever it was, um, who were just young teenagers. And they'd offered them a ride, these two young blokes. And Camilleri was a young blonde fellow, looked pretty normal, reasonably good-looking young bloke at the time. And they've given these girls a ride, but what they did was abduct them at knife point and they held them for many, many, many hours overnight, I think. And these girls were sexually assaulted, of course, and they would have known that eventually they were, probably, they were going to be murdered. And Camilleri, who was the dominant one of the pair, had forced, I think, the other guy to kill them with a knife. And then they got rid of the bodies. But they were caught subsequently, and it was one of the most gruelling trials anywhere because, you know, the evidence was just shocking. It transfixed people, and I find it one of the most haunting cases that I've ever heard of in, in Australia. It's up there with the Moores murders in England, Myra Hindley and Ian Brady, it's like that. Now, this Camilleri, all these years later, is saying that he knew something about the Prue Bird case. Another prisoner warns the police about this. The police take certain action. I think they would have um, started listening to Camilleri's phone calls and monitoring his letters. I suspect the police wisely talked to some of Camilleri's um, relatives, people that he'd be talking to on the phone, and they drew enough out of Camilleri to then interview him and find out what he did know about Prue Bird's disappearance. And Camilleri gave a half-baked version of events. Camilleri told enough about what happened 
to show that he was telling at least partly the truth. He did know some things that he wouldn't know unless he was present. And the story he told did not include everything, though. The story he told was this, that he used to come down from Sydney to Melbourne and pick up drugs from known uh, drug dealers, associates of very bad guy called Victor Pierce that we all know about. And one of these associates was a drug dealer called Mark McConville, who was the black sheep of a pretty good family from out Keelor Way. Mark McConville's one of his brothers and one of his cousins played uh, league football. I believe the cousin is still an AFL agent, player agent. But this guy, Mark McConville, was the black sheep of the family. And he had, in fact, taken part with a very notorious killer, Rodney Collins, in the murder, double murder of a man and wife out at Heidelberg some years earlier. And McConville, being not only a cold-blooded, drug-affected, murdering vermin, he was also stupid enough to take the murdered man's watch and steal a watch, which actually linked him to this double murder at Heidelberg. And that linked his associate Collins to the murder. And Collins ended up being convicted of that murder years later. But McConville actually beat it on appeal for some reason. This all made sense to the police that Camilleri knew this guy, McConville, because they realised that McConville was capable of murder. He hanged around with very serious murderer, being Rodney Collins, and he was heavily involved in the drug scene, and he was heavily involved with people of the type who would know the Russell Street bomb crew, because that particular branch of the underworld is fairly small. They all know each other and uh, know of each other and do some stuff together and do each other favours. And Camilleri's disjointed story is that he and McConville picked up this girl, Prue Bird, in the street in Glenroy or somewhere. Now, the police and the judge and no one in court believe that that's the exact truth. The, the, The belief is she was abducted from the house where she'd left her lunch. She wasn't outside. But he persisted with this thing that that's what they'd done. What he would not say, Camilleri, what he would not say was the real reason they'd done it. He would not go to the fairly obvious conclusion they'd been put up to this by somebody connected with the Russell Street bombing. He said it was an opportunistic crime. They just chanced upon her. It was just sort of luck of the draw, she'd got in the car willingly, blah, blah, blah. He then was unable to help locate where the body was. Clearly, um, his story is partly true and that um, certain elements of that did gel with other witnesses. Some girls that were friends of Prue's had actually seen a blonde man with a long straight nose like Camilleri in a blue car and so on. So there were other witnesses who were brought forward, who confirmed that somebody like Camilleri had been involved. What Camilleri would not do, probably because he's in the prison system, is give any evidence against a fellow prisoner, that being, in this case, Craig Minogue, who, of course, is a pretty heavy guy in jail 
he not only was a Russell Street bomber and an armed robber, therefore very high in the pecking order in jail, he had murdered one Alex Dasmarcus in jail by putting some weights, dumbbells, in a pillowcase and hitting him over the head. So he'd done a murder in jail, which he got for nothing really because they didn't add any more sentences to the sentences already serving. So he had that one thrown in. So the sensible conclusion that we can make, the great jury of public opinion, is that Leslie Camilleri only told half the story and that, in fact, he was in some way put up to it via McConville by someone connected with the Russell Street Bombers, Craig Minogue or Stan Taylor or someone connected with them and that they'd done this as some sort of favour for some sort of payment for drugs, whatever. It's also thought that it's most likely that Prue's body ended up at a burying ground used by this man, Rodney Collins, who was known to have done many murders. There's one more element of this, and it's the most chilling element of the lot. And that is that it turns out, according to a woman we know only as Witness K. Now, Witness K first came to police notice back when McConville was charged over the Heidelberg double murder, which I referred to earlier. Witness K had been a glamorous nightclub girl. She knocked around the nightclubs with him. They dealt drugs together. They took drugs together. They did the whole party scene. <clears throat> she was totally under McConville's thumb. She was frightened of McConville, who was scary and violent and evil. She was very terrified of him. And Witness K, following McConville's death from probably a drug overdose, suddenly recovered some of her memory. And she was able to testify at the Camilleri trial on the Prue Bird case that, in fact, she now recalled something she'd never spoken about before. And that was that back in 1992, in the warm weather, she'd been locked in a garden shed, a shed at the back of a house in Ascot Vale. And this house, I think, was Mark McConville's aunt's or grandmother's, a relative of McConville's, and there was a shed in the backyard. And Witness Kay said she'd been locked in there with a teenage girl overnight, like for quite some time, so maybe 24 hours. And she recalled talking to this teenage girl, who she thought was probably Prue Bird. And she recalled this teenage girl telling her that she'd wanted to be a hairdresser, which of course is what Prue did want to be. And it, there's no doubt it was Prue Bird. And here is the, the tragic thing. This was only a garden shed. There was a window in it that was fixed, but it could easily have been broken. But Witness Kay, who was, you know, 10 years older than Prue, she said, oh, no, 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 don't break it. Mark will be so angry. You know, he'll come along tomorrow. He'll let us out. It'll all be fine. But if you break the window and get out, it'll be awful. You know, he'll, he'll hunt us down, and I'm terrified of him. So she talked Prue out of breaking out of the shed, which Prue would have done. And of course, what happened was McConville and or Camilleri turned up and they released Witness K, but they did not release Prue and Prue was murdered and her body hidden somewhere that um, we've never been able to discover. 
Read my column in the Sunday Herald Sun and online at heraldsun.com.au. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.